Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. Hi, welcome to another episode of Redefining Success. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist. And I've said this before, but do I have a treat for you? Actually, maybe I have a treat for me, and I hope that you get to benefit from it. So joining me today is Jerry Boyer, who is the president of Boyer Research. But I've known Jerry, known of Jerry for a number of years for his critical thinking on economics, on finance, from a biblical perspective. And he has just been a great encouragement to me. I was telling Jerry before we came on the show, if you don't know me, one of my favorite mottos is if it's not broke, break it. Um, And Jerry certainly is all about breaking it. Uh, And before we get too far in, just to let you know, Jerry's also the author of the book, The Maker Versus the Takers. Um, and we maybe we may get a little bit of chance to talk about that some more too. If you haven't read it, you need to. Everyone needs to read a copy of this book. Um, it will change the way that you you, you view Jesus and the way that he taught his parables. Um, and Jerry did a lot of deep research into that. And so we'll just kind of see where things go today. But Jerry, thank you so much for joining us. Eric, always a pleasure to be with you. I I, I love chatting with you. We really have a lot of resonance together. And I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Jerry, um, my first question is always the same. It's Saturday afternoon. I've got a barbecue. I've got the grill going. Um, Hot dogs or hamburgers or whatever is your pleasure. But I've invited all of my friends here to join me here on this podcast. And I would love for you to introduce yourself to my friends, if you would. Uh, Happy to. I'll take a bunless burger, please, to start (laughs) off with. Um, And uh, so I'm Jerry Boyer. I've been uh, follower of Jesus for 40 years. I'm the husband of Susan, father of Christopher, Jeremy, Grace, Hope, Mercy, Charlie, and Jack, Mm. Uh, grandfather of Arthur and Anina, and in transit, little Felix, um, who we haven't seen yet, but who is, um, you know, from everything we hear from the doctors coming along quite nicely. Wonderful. Wonderful. Jerry, what I don't even know where to start. I mean, the, the theme of the, the podcast is redefining success. What I really feel like is when you look at the financial industry and you look at the world, you have brought so much thought leadership to that. What I would really love to know and kind of ha- have you share with the audience today, and maybe we'll get into a little bit kind of some of your thinking and what you've learned. I would love to know more about your journey. Like, how did you come to kind of some of the perspectives and the things that you are teaching and talking on today, because there are not, I mean, no one else has written a book like the maker versus the takers that I've found. No one else is thinking about economics the way that you're thinking about it. So what has been the journey that brought you to where you are today? 
Well, um, regarding the book, and this would probably answer a lot of similar questions, uh, I just really wanted to know the answer. Hmm. Um, and uh, in this particular case, I really wanted to know the answer. Uh, what does, to the question, what does Jesus really think about economics? Hmm. Um, and I, I didn't want to put words in his mouth. Um, and I didn't want to take what Jerry really thinks about economics and figure out a way to kind of, uh, you know, put Velcro on that um, and then put Velcro on the Bible and then stick it on um, so that it's like, well, it kind of fits. It's not, not totally, but if you push hard, maybe it'll stay. I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I'd seen a lot of that. Uh, now, some of it done by friends of mine. Um, and in many cases, I agreed with their position. And I was, I would like say a free market position until they tried to Velcro it onto the a particular Bible verse where maybe it didn't fit. Hmm. So it's like, okay, that's your best thinking. And that's good thinking. I, you know, decentralized economies with uh, uh, stable currency and uh, the rule of law and private property. Um, there's a very strong case that they perform better for, for humanity to flourish. Hmm. Um, but I, I just, I just, you're not, you shouldn't just take that idea and say, because it's true, Jesus must believe it. Mm. Um, you got to let Jesus speak for himself. And I would say that a, a lot of the research that I've done that has brought me into overlap with, with you, yep. you know, in the world of say kingdom advisors and the faith driven, you know, faith, faith driven investment movement, et cetera, has largely been not my day job, uh, which is involved with creating ETFs and doing macroeconomic forecasting. It is the thing that I do in the evenings uh, and uh, especially Sunday afternoons where it's like, okay, Sunday, I mean, all, all the days are God's days, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I feel like, you know, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So I sometimes I, I don't feel like I can give quite as much time to biblical research on those days because I do have a job given by God. And I'm not a pastor. I mean, I focus, I, I, um, I'm a deacon, so I focus as clergy um, um, or, or function that way, but that's not a job, that's as a volunteer. Sure. So, uh, so it's, but it's like evenings, you know, before I turn out the light or Sunday, after I get back from church, it's like, okay, I can just study. Um, and I'm going to study, just follow my bliss, whatever I want it, whatever answers I want the, the answer to. What does God think about A, B, C, or D? Mm -hmm. Um, and there've been a number of questions that have in interested me, Jesus, what does Jesus think about economics? When the Bible says that the sons of Issachar uh, understood the times um, and knew what Israel ought to do, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? And what is it about the sons of Issachar? I mean, there's 11 others, really 12 if you split Joseph, so something about Issachar. Um, Really, I got very interested in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that mean in the beginning? It's the beginning of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I get obsessed with certain questions and then dig into them. Usually it's a joint project, my wife and I, excuse me. <coughs> um, and so uh, that I, what, what, what drives that is the desire to know. And I think what's partly relevant um, to kind of what, what, you're, what you're doing with this series which is how the world views success yeah. versus how king, the kingdom views success. So what I'm gonna do is over here, you have this, this um, category called the world. Mm -hmm. And then over here, you have this category called the kingdom, right? Yeah. 
And I'm going to say that there's a category called the church where a, a whole lot of it is kind of over here. Mm. It kind of is like the world yeah. in that it lives by fame, marketing, power, wealth accumulation, mm. manipulation. Yeah. And so for me, a lot, since I became a Christian at age 19, I've kind of, I've sort of been in the church and also in like ministries and, <laughs> and Christian media, almost from the very beginning is a lot of the breaking away from it. A lot of, for me, breaking away from the way the world views success to a kingdom approach was actually breaking away from the way the church and Christian media views success, mm. which I thought needed to be broken away from. You're going to, I'm going to make you unpack this part some more. But the way the church and Christian media views success versus the way the kingdom views success. I, that's a powerful statement that I agree with, but I want to hear you expound on that a little more. Well, th there was um, an interesting conversation in the green room of a Christian television network. And I've been on you know, various Christian television networks. In fact, I actually used to host a show um, on one. And there was a conversation about some particular biblical topic, right? It doesn't even matter what the, what the conversation was. Um, and one of the, uh, the people there was a religious broadcaster and a pastor. And he said, oh, that'll preach. And mm. my question was, well, don't you want to know why I believe it first? Yeah. No, that'll preach. And that'll preach became a phrase in my mind. And then I saw it over and over again. That there's a certain um, a thing that, that thought leaders, whether you're a pastor, a religious broadcaster, or the higher end thing called a thought leader, or even a Christian scholar intellectual, in many, and you're selling books all the time, and that's how you make your living, by preaching in one way or another, yeah. What happened? And you have to do it all the time. You have to fill, an, you know, an hour a week of TV or three hours a day of uh, radio, or you have to write a new book each each year. Otherwise, it dries up. Yeah. Um, you have to keep finding new messages, and you don't have time to. Um, what does it say in the Book of Common Prayer? One of the colics is to read, um, chew, um, swallow, think, and inwardly digest mm. the word. Um, you don't have time for that. Yep. You just have time to ask the question, will it preach? And then how do I have to wrap it up so I can get it out there? And so um, it was a, that was kind of a shock for me. And so one of the, what that helped me do is to say, I, 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 in order to stop having to answer the question, will it preach? I have to have my life organized in such a way as I don't live, I don't make my living by that principle. Mm. So that means my theological and biblical studies have to be, I don't trust myself yeah. to be on a search for truth if I have to sell what I find mm. um, on a short production cycle that over time, I'm just going to naturally gravitate towards giving them whatever they want, asking, will that preach? So that meant that I had to take it out of the world of a job and put it in places in my life where I just follow it wherever it leads mm. and never ask, will it preach? Never ask, will this book sell? Never even ask when I was studying the, the Jesus economics question, will it be a book? But instead, mm. just follow it wherever it leads.
Well, but there's an interesting piece inside of that. And I'd be interested to know with your kids, if you're seeing the same thing, I've, you know, I've got a 21 year old, an 18 year old and a 15 year old at home. And I don't know the exact ages of your kids, but I, it's been an interesting spiritual journey to watch my kids grow up and mature in this age of will it preach and like the beginning of every sermon needs to come with a story or a joke. And then we go into the sermon, you know, you know the formula. Yes. Right. And my children have had the opportunity to listen to you just preach the word of God with deeper findings and deeper experience. Here's what's really going on. And here's the environment and kind of this um, really digging into what the word of God says. And what has been fascinating to me is they're like, yeah, the modern preachers are just too slick. It's a show. And like they feel that and that see that versus they know when the truth is preached and they know when the word of God is brought and they appreciate and welcome more of that experience. And from a generational standpoint, I mean, we did grow up during a time which was more of, you know, the show coming on and it, you needed to be entertained and we've got to have the hot music and everything else. And it's been interesting to watch my kids really reject that, but be more attracted to the more, what we might even be called traditional. Yeah. Well, that's the gift that millennials are to the church. They're um, kind of in some sense, helpful cynicism. Um, they grew up around the show. Yeah. Right. Mom and dad went to the mega church and they saw the show. Um, and then I think they also saw how much of a show it is because a lot of I mean, how plain are we going to be here? You, you tell me. No, please. Um, you know, but I mean, this is my show. I be plain. A lot of it is youth ministry. There's youth ministry, which is tends to be a show with back behind the curtain. Youth ministry is going on, whatever it is. It might not have a lot of substance. Yep. And then you know, once or twice a year, the youth ministry is put out in front of the congregation. And that's a show. And it's a fundraising show. Mm, yep. Right. People are, oh, this is what we're doing for the young people. And so many, so many kids have shipwrecked their faith by seeing that show that, you know, some have argued that the worst, you know, people talk about sending your kid to some Ivy League school where there's atheist professors. I, I don't know. I, a youth ministry might do more damage in many cases. I, Jerry, I'm going to tell you, I feel like I've had to undo more of what happened. At, I've had to undo more of what happened at my kids at youth group than I did at my kids' schools. Yeah. Yes. And so there's a mega church version of it where they give a, a testimony, which is, you know, there's a kind of a manufactured feel to it. I've seen in mainline church, I call it the bell choir you know, which is in, in the mainline church, like the little kids come out and they do the bell choir and all the sweet old ladies are like, okay, I'm opening my pocketbook. I love the bell choir. Um, and then I see like the teenage boys is like bell choir, you know, and, um, and like they're, they're good kids. So they're going to do what they're told, but um, you know, they're going to, it's going to, you're going to have trouble keeping them. Yeah in the faith, especially the young men, you're gonna have trouble keeping them in their faith if they have to show up to show off for what the youth ministry is, is accomplishing. Mm. Yeah. So that's, you know, that skepticism of theirs, I think is, is worthwhile. Um, and I'm also seeing a lot of older people, you know, there's this, con there's this category of people who are nuns, right, who don't go to church, uh, they're not involved. And then there's duns. And, and my guess is a lot of your friends, maybe not duns, but like almost duns. Yep. 
like a lot of my friends are Christian entrepreneurs um, and they've been going to church for 40 years. They haven't learned anything in 20. Yep. Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. So they're going to show up because that's duty, but really they want to be duns, right? And, um, and then of course, well, you know, scold them. Yes, scolding will help, right? <laughs> um, and they just, it didn't advance along with them, right? Right. The, the, the preaching, the theological life of the church, the spiritual life of the church stayed at marketing level, stayed at, mm-hmm. at intake marketing level. Yeah. And that's what will it preach yields. Mm. Mm. Right. And that's you know, one of the things about the early church. I mean, the very early, the New Testament church, one of the things that's so beautiful about that is that pastor was a terrible, terrible job. Mm. Becoming a pastor puts you on a high probability of assassination by the civil authorities. Yeah. So there's a weeding out effect. Right. And then there's yeah. a time when pastor became a good job. Yeah. Right. Um, in mainline, pastor became a good job. Like, well, well, if you didn't want to go to Vietnam, right? But, right. You, you know, engineering wasn't your thing. You didn't want to go to law school. Your SATs weren't good enough. You go to seminary. So a whole generation of mainline pastors are essentially trying to get out of the Vietnam draft. Um, and so, but it, it was a pretty easy life. Now, for a lot of evangelicals, you do the startup thing and the megachurch thing. And that's a kind of an entrepreneurial adventure. And I appreciate that. Um, but it, you know, you still have some of that same, there is a certain marketing model to it as opposed to deepening model and it is in some cases maybe not so much now it's getting a little more toxic but for a lot of for a number of years it was a pretty good job and so it can attract people who want the good job um as opposed to attract people who are servants so what i'm seeing what i'm in what i'm very interested in is what i'm seeing is a new wave of bivocational clergy Mm. for whom it's not a good job they already have a day job their day job keeps them busy but there's a small church that can't afford a pastor. And so they'll serve there for free or for like, here's a hundred bucks for a Sunday. Yep. So they, they can't be doing it for the glory. I'm really intrigued by the possibility of reformation and, re- and re- renewal and revival coming there, yes. coming from there rather than from the old wineskins. You said at the beginning, if it's not broken, break it. Yeah. Wineskins. Yeah break them. So at one point, the mega church was breaking the old wineskin of the downtown Macy's first right. Presbyterian, first Methodist, first whatever. Well, now there might be breaking of that, of, you know, and then mm-hmm. the mega church was the mall, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So, but that might be breaking too. Um, and oh, it good. served honorably for its time and mm-hmm. still does. So I'm not saying abolish all the mega churches, but God might have might have some breaking to do there. And I'm kind of seeing from some of the scandals and some of the demographics and the effects of COVID that there might actually be, be some blessed breaking going on in that area too. Well, it's interesting you make that comment. I'm thinking like one of my best friends lives in Dallas and he's bivocational pastor. Every other Sunday, they take turns preaching at his church. Um, and until you said that, I didn't even, it didn't even really hit me. You know, I was just, oh, Brian's peach preaching this weekend. But no, no, no. I mean, that's the, that's really the role. I think, Jerry, what I'd like to do, especially with kind of the direction that this conversation's taking, um, I would imagine there are a lot of, let's go back to this idea of the entrepreneur that is close to done or the, you know, the, the person who's in business, who's close to done. Um, what have you found in your life 
So what, what have you found in your life about studying God's words? Let's say somebody's there, but they're like, man, the only thing I know to do is to go to church because that's where I get fed. That's the model of what I've been taught. What is the pattern interrupt, the actual different definition of spiritual success that you've found to be true that someone like that could adopt from some of the things you've learned about kind of becoming their own, feeding themselves the meat that they need and then the other resources you found that have been helpful? It doesn't matter whether it's a popular idea or not. It doesn't matter whether it's the hot topic or not. It doesn't matter whether the high places of evangelicalism, and there's different high places, right? There's sort of like Christianity Today and the Christian Foundations and Trinity Forum, like a little more elite. And then there's sort of like, like John MacArthur and Grace to You and the radio ministries. Um, and, you know, people talk about elite versus sort of grassroots, you know, evangelicalism. Look, all of the branches have an elite, right? Um, they're right. just, they're fighting with each other for who's the real, right? Who's the real elite. It doesn't matter what, whether they believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether they say it or not. It doesn't matter whether it resonates with the hot topic or the hot debate of the moment. What matters when you're studying a scriptural question, which is really studying God, Yep. is does it resonate with the actual Bible in front of you, mm. with the actual, especially, I would say, the words of Jesus, not because Jesus's words are more true than the rest of the Bible, but because Jesus's words are more profound mm. than the rest of the Bible, because he has, it's all summed up in him yeah. in a way that the rest of the Bible isn't. So if you're reading Jesus's words, and not the Jesus you imagine, because you can imagine the hippie Jesus, or you can imagine the you know, the sort of the fundamentalist Jesus, you can imagine all the, or the Che Guevara Jesus, or, you know, you can imagine any Jesus that you want, but you got to actually, the, what we know about Jesus, we know from the gospel accounts, mm -hmm. illumined by the Holy Spirit, and then explained and expounded upon by the epistles that come later. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you're really into reading Paul, well, that's great. If you understand that Paul is writing commentaries on the Gospels, mm, that's good, right? So a lot of my world, which is sort of like Reformed theology, very doctrinal, you'd get a sermon that is forty minutes on one verse from Paul, yep, and you get something from the Gospel accounts maybe once a year, maybe around the holidays, right? So I think you got to be spending just a lot of time with the only Jesus we know which is the Jesus in the gospel accounts. Yeah. Now we'll also meet him in person someday, but when we meet him in person, he will not be a different person than he is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm. He'll just be the person in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John more real to us. Yeah. Um, and if your reading of Paul is like, doesn't really fit with the man you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then go back to the gospel accounts get to know them better, and then come back to Paul and say, what part of Jesus's life is Paul talking about? Mm. Um, and so really getting focused on Jesus, and by focused on Jesus, I mean actually the gospel accounts. Read them over and over again and try to read them anew. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think that's, that's really important. Um, and never ask, will it preach? <laughs> and never ask, has my favorite Bible teacher ever said this before because mm. there's a pretty good chance i'm sorry but for all of them there's a pretty good chance that your favorite bible teacher is your favorite bible teacher partly 
because he, sometimes she, has a gift for self-promotion and publicity. In other words, I'm not going to list all the names, but like everyone's, there's all these names that there's the Christian celebrities, yep. Yep. right? And almost everyone who's following somebody is following a celebrity because that's almost the definition of a celebrity. They're well-known. Well, every, almost every celebrity was good at becoming a celebrity. And that was part of the game plan. I mean, once in a while you get a Billy Graham who didn't start out to be a celebrity and God just pushed him up yeah. to the top. Right. But almost all of the household names set out to be somebody. Mm. They had a plan and it was a marketing plan. Now there's some people who are really great. And, and so that sounds like I'm throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Um, but I am saying there is a kind of a celebrity industry, sure, Christian celebrity industry. And that's fine. It's better things to be watching than junk TV or whatever, or binge watching the latest, you know, you know, whatever, you know, TV series, hot TV series. Um, but just understand that, you know, the celebrity industry has its own problems and it really doesn't, shouldn't be your spiritual guide. So when you're listening to whoever, um, just think of them as an option. It's an input. So if your favorite celebrity preacher says something, you say, hmm, well, he's an honorable, godly man. Let me see whether that fits with the Bible. Yeah. Not that resonates with my spirit, because a lot of what resonates, you feel like resonates with your spirit is really resonating with your flesh. Mm. Right. Mm. So there's a kind of like hip kind of guy. And if you're a hip kind of person, then you resonate with the hip preacher. But maybe you're a, you know, back in my day. Right. And so there's a kind of like old time gospel y hour person. So they might be telling the truth, but you have to admit that, you know, a lot, if you look at the audiences and the audiences are sort of demographically the same, yep. if one congregation is almost all old white guys and another congregation is almost all millennials with extra piercings and all the rest of it, then are, why, why is that? Mm. Well, they're serving a demographic group. Yep. It's a market. It's a sub market, but, oh, that's good. but that can't be the kingdom yeah because the kingdom's for everyone yeah right so you got to be really careful see i as a 60 year old guy 60 year old white guy from flyover country almost 60 so let's just leap ahead right up to 60 <laughs> in a couple of months i got i have to be aware that there's a certain kind of demographic thing that i'll feel yeah for nostalgic old angry preaching yeah you know, that I have to say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. Hormonally, I like that. Right. I get a little yeah. testosterone boost when he unleashes <laughs> on the libs and woke and, and millennials. But that's but, it, it, you know, if I hold if I hold this up next to Jesus, how well does it? Mm. And of course, they can always find passages, passages where Jesus sounds like them, but they kind of ignore the passages where Jesus doesn't sound like yeah. them. Because sometimes Jesus is very, very gentle and he's yeah. known for being gentle. So he's mostly, he's gentle, occasionally angry. And so when there are angry thought leaders, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them and say, well, wait a minute. I mean, is this Jesus We're supposed to be gentle? And then they'll quote the woes against the Pharisees. Okay, that's one passage. Yeah. But Jesus, Jesus, it was not three years of woe. You know, that was like at the end when he said, okay, time to die. Yeah. Right. And now I'm going to let it loose. But mostly he was gentle. And that's yeah. what the Bible says about him. So so your answer is, you know, kind of how do you 
what do you watch out for? Watch out for any preaching that feels good to you mm. and aligns with your hormonal demographic or psychographic profile uh, with you as a market, right? And, yeah. and go to uncomfortable places, uh, but not uncomfortable places in terms of the Bible, uncomfortable places in terms of who you are mm. and what your sort of predetermined conclusions should be. Oh, that's good. That's good. Jerry, I... I'd love to kind of understand how you arrive where you are today. If you've got, if you've got any kind of seminal moments that kind of come up, I mean, from a, cause I mean, I think about me, you know, raised in the church, but then I hit frustrations at different times of like, is this really the way that God wanted this to be versus, you know, this, you're talking, I mean, we can talk about how frustrations with the marketing of the church and everything like that, but you had to have had some kind of aha moments along the way where you were, caught up maybe in the system of what the church was doing, or maybe you've kind of always been this way, but you had to have kind of some of those aha moments on the journey. I think the first big aha moment for me after becoming a Christian, I mean, becoming a Christian is the big aha aha moment uh, for all eternity. Um, I think the big aha moment for me after becoming a Christian was about four years after that. Um, I was unusual in that I didn't go to sort of a big mega church um, I, I was raised in a pretty dead denominational church. Okay. Um, and so I left that and became an atheist as a teenager. Um, so then when I got converted to Christianity, I was brought into a very strongly Calvinist church. Mm. Um, and there was a strong emphasis on controversy and debate and argumentation. Um, so I'm not going to blame my pastor. I'm going to blame me being a 19-year-old young man who already liked to fight. <laughs> I, I mean, I, when I was an atheist, I liked to fight. And when I became a Calvinist, I liked to fight. Some people call that cage stage Calvinism, right? Uh, where everything's like a cage fight, you know, in professional <laughs> wrestling. And so I thought that you were supposed to get wisdom. And I thought wisdom was the ability to win debates. Mm. Now, I told myself that wisdom was the ability to know the truth. Yeah. But operationally, you got to truth by winning debates. So there were years of that. And then with the birth of my first son, Christopher, something just shifted. Mm. Um, first of all, there was just the need to provide for him. Yeah. There was a connection with the future. And then in my own reading, I'd been reading Proverbs a lot. And I was memorizing a proverb a week. Um, and you know, said by wisdom, a house is built. And I thought, well, that doesn't have anything to do with debate. Mm. Um, and I realized that wisdom was the ability to build a house, um, either to build a you know, physical house, but really you're building, you know, like you know, David says to God, I'm going to build a house for you, meaning a building. And God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you, meaning a dynasty, yeah. a legacy, right? Yeah. Um, a house for my name, a house where he could live. Um, and that was a huge transition for me. Um, mm. And that was when I moved towards finance away from sort of traditional fields like classical languages and logic and, you know, sort of debate, intellectual stuff, philosophy um, and literature is I just switched over and I said, okay, well, this is an emphasis on responsibility. This is an mm. emphasis on being productive and building a house. And the first thing I have to do to build a house is feed my family and the mm. family you know, continued to grow. So that, I'd say that was the first really big transition for me. Mm. Mm. Um, so go ahead. Well, no, one, of the, one of the other things I've 
in, in following you and just been so impressed with this, your wisdom um, has been, you know, when, when I look at your thinking, the easiest way to equate it is a lot of your thinking and what you bring is kingdom mindset, kingdom viewpoint. Um, one of the things I'd love kind of your commentary on, because it, it, it becomes evident, like the fruit is there. You can see the fruit of your kingdom minded thinking. And for those business owners or people who are kind of on this point of done feeling kind of this need to, you know, really, as I would even call it, maybe feed themselves more and things like that. I think one of the things that I've been feeling more lately is the world needs more kingdom thinkers. Because when you, you talk about the celebrity idea and everything inside of the church, it just modeled itself after the world, right? There's celebrity finance and there's celebrity everything that we end up creating, whether it's around a big financial organization or a big financial thought thinker or, or whatever. But the, the world needs more kingdom thinkers probably now more than ever. Yes. And that was another big transition. Um, uh, uh, this was much later, more recently, where I, I had a number of health crises. I'd just been in the emergency room several times and I was there overnight and I thought, okay, God, you're trying to tell me something. Mm. Um, and uh, I, obviously I'm not getting it. Uh, so I kind of want to start over. Um, and I, what came to me that night in the hospital room is going to go back home, please, um, you know, go back home. And it turned out that I did get go, to go back home. Mm. And I'm going to start over with my scripture study. Um, and I'm going to start with Genesis mm. and I'm going to start in Hebrew oh, because wow. the Bible is God's love language and two thirds of the Bible is written in Hebrew. So Hebrew is God's main love language. Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I did it together and we just started from the beginning. Barashit bar Elohim, Hashemayim Haaretz, right? And we just, um, I, I, I looked at the, at the textbooks and, and everything, but essentially what we did is we just read it together. So okay. it's like, what is this word? bar sheet in the beginning so first time through you could read that word and then second the, the next night two words just keep going go back to one word right <laughs> then oh three words then go back and then the next day four words then go back and we got to about genesis 9 on that um kind of looping back and forth so i don't know how, how many hundreds of times that we uh we read that and there were two really big ideas there um, and I'm, I'm mentioning one because uh, you mentioned kingdom. So the first words in the Bible, first three words in the Bible are in the beginning. Now, remember, there's no will this preach, right? There was right. no thought of it. Hospital room, God, what do you want me to do? Um, if I live, what do you want me to do? Um, and then study together and no thought of ever preaching, teaching, whatever. Now, later, it did turn into something, but totally unplanned by me. Um, and my wife and I were, were studying this together. Bar, sheet. Ba is in. Rashid is the beginning. Okay, mm -hmm. so in the beginning. <clears throat> and I have a database where I can do word searches. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see where else is this phrase used. And Susan and I were looking at that together. And she said, look at that. And I said, look at what? Was a little bit like, well, I'm busy, you know. <laughs> you know, there was a little bit of, well, I'm in the middle of something. So, look, look where it's used. Um, and uh, what she saw is that all the other times in the Bible that that word was used, Bereshit, um, or Bereshes, if you use the Sephardic um, pronunciation, it always was used the same way. It always referred to the to the same thing. 
in the beginning of the first reign of King such and such. Mm -hmm. It was always used as regnal dating, King dating. It was so in the ancient world, they didn't have any 2022, right? They had the 15th year of King Tiberius, as it says in the gospel, right? And then Tiberius dies and we start over. Yeah. Right. Um, so Tiberius is gone and then we get his not so nephew. Uh, um, so, so it kept, it kept starting over Julius Caesar. Then it's the first year of Augustus Caesar. Then it's Tiberius, uh, the steps. Okay. So, so we thought about that. Well, what, what does that mean? Let's assume that God's consistent in his use of Hebrew here. What it, what it means is that the first thing that God made wasn't a thing. The first thing that he made was a kingdom. Mm. His first creation. Mm. Oh, it, you see? Yeah. So it's not like God says, okay, I'm going to make this rock called earth. And then I'm going to take charge of it. So it's not like I made that rock. That's mine. I'm the king of it. The first thing he made was the zone of authority. Wow. With nothing in it. And then he fills it with things. He, he, he brings these things into his creation. And so we're looking a little further. Barashit bara. In the beginning, God created. Well, what does created mean? And we did a really deep dive on this. And people th say it means creation from nothing, but that's not true. Uh, because he baraz human beings and we're made from the dirt. And in Psalm 51, he baraz David's heart. Um, so, you know, so it's a remake. So we'll, let, let's skip like 20 pages of the thesis I wrote on this. <laughs> Bara refers to specifically the creation of new jurisdictions of authority. Mm. So mm. when God Bara's something, um, it means he's founding something, not just making a thing. And then I found out later by God's grace, looking in some obscure Charles, um, the pseudepigrapha, um, uh, very obscure, I, I won't get into the details of it, that the word bara in the, the uh, old, Sabbate old Sabbatean, which is like Hebrew from a little bit south, mm -hmm. one of the languages that Hebrew comes from, the word bara means to found. So it's like, so, but I'd already, we'd already seen that from the research. So at the inauguration, God founded the country earth and the heavens, you know, which is mm. his, his yeah. armory, his, um, his Sabaoth, his, um, his uh, um, hosts. So at the inauguration, God founds the country and the hosts. And so, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> there's all this controversy in New Testament studies that Jesus is talking about the kingdom. What kingdom? You don't really have kingdom mentioned a lot in the Old Testament, right? Except right, like right. the kingdom of Judea or the kingdom of Samaria, etc. Um, so, but Jesus refers to the kingdom as though it's an already thing. Like Jesus is saying, the kingdom that you've been hearing about, that's now. Jesus doesn't say there's a thing called the kingdom and it's now. Yeah, right. Jesus says, the kingdom, which you should already know about, is coming. What's he referring to? He's referring to Genesis 1 1. The kingdom wow. starts before there's even an earth there's a kingdom. Yeah. So the kingdom wow. is before everything. Oh, I love that. I love that. Which just makes <laughs> I, the important, this is, as I've gotten older, the most important thing I've found, and, and you just keep resonating back to this is 
do not underestimate the study of God's word. Here, here. And especially if you're studying with the intent to learn from him. Yeah. And if you're, if you just, if you just say and mean it, God, I don't understand. What do you mean here? I know it's true. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. So what you tell me what it is and I'll believe that it's true, but there's, there's a, I just don't know yet. And over and over again, the blessing, my wife and I would just pray together. And it's probably something that works better when it's done with another person and probably, you know, best done with a spouse in general, although I'm not talking, there's great stuff with studying scripture with your children and and with your, with, with your friends, but to basically say, God, I, I, I want to know, just please tell me, or sometimes even like, okay. So when I was doing this, this Genesis study, we, there was one night where it's like, I just don't want to do it. Lord, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. And there was a little bit of, hey, you told me you're going to do it every night. And then I said, I didn't say every night. I remember I said every night, but with exceptions. <laughs> so, so we negotiated for a while. And I, I, I was a little irreverent. I said, this better be worth my while. Yeah. As tired yeah. as I am. So I open it up as the genealogy. Genealogy of... Um, you know, Cain, Cain down to Abel, um, uh, and uh, Cain and 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 Enoch, and on down to Lamech, and and I'm like, oh Lord, <laughs> you're giving me a genealogy. I'd forgotten what was next up. <laughs> you know, how am I going to? All right, Lord, give me something, please. Yeah. And what He gave me was just so wonderful. I was so moved by this. Because by then, what I'd come to see is in the beginning, God creates, he founds this kingdom, and then he creates a successor to the kingdom. Hmm. So Genesis 1 is a a dual monarchy, an emperor king and a prince in training, Hmm. okay? So now the prince never replaces the king entirely. God always remains king, but the prince goes from being a little kid putzing around in the throne room to actually being a prince right so there is a um it's a it's a it's it's a um dynasty Mm. it's a dynastic model and an apprenticeship so then i i I go to these um to this genealogy and i have to remember because it's been so long and the genealogies in in genesis are really kind of odd because it's so and so was born and then he lived and then he had a firstborn son, and then he had sons and daughters, and then he died. And then all the years of Enoch or, or of yep. Seth were such and such. Okay. So you see how it, there's something kind of strange there. It's not he was born and he died, right? That's genealogies tend to be this way. Or he was born and he had a child, like the New Testament genealogies are so and so was born and then they had a child. And now we're talking about the child. But instead, there was an overlap period. Mm-hmm. He's born, and he's going along just being who he is, right? Uh, Seth is just being who he is. And then Seth has a child, mm. firstborn, right? So that's here. And then together, they're both here on earth. And then Seth dies. And then on it goes. So there's a dual, see that dual structure, yep. that apprenticeship? Yep. It's built into the very structure of the way the genealogy is worded. Wow. So, it, so it's like that with us too. Yeah. Right. That Seth is is an is in the image and likeness of Adam. We're told 
there is a succession thing going on here. And part of being, uh, God makes Adam and Adam's to be the successor, right? So it's an apprenticeship. But since Adam is in God's image, then Adam also has a successor. Mm -hmm. Cain was supposed to be the successor, but he failed. Abel should have been the successor because he was the more righteous, uh, but he was killed. Right. So Seth becomes the successor, but then Seth has a successor as well. Um, and so I don't know, even remember how I got off on that, but um, kingdom. Yeah. So the kingdom is, is dual monarchy. There's all in every area, there is the king and there's the prince, right? And we don't need to get hung up on gender because all in the Bible, son means heir. Yeah. So women are the son of God, right? In the same sense mm -hmm. that men are the bride of Christ. Right. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. it's a role. It's a covenantal role. So that kingdom thing is built into the, into the structure of, of reality. So, oh, I know what got me off on this, which is if you don't feel like studying the Bible, just try God, you know, <laughs> right. like, like, like I did that and I said, oh, come on, I'm tired. Not a genealogy, a genealogy. <laughs> um, okay, Lord, I know you can give me something. Yeah. And in my experience, he did. Now, sometimes it wasn't right away. Sometimes sure. you wrestle with something for a long time. That understanding the times, I wrestled with that for 25 years. Hmm. But if you don't give up, if you say, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me a blessing, you might get a dislocated hip <laughs> for your effort and limp for the rest of your life, but you will get the, you will get the blessing. I will tell you, regarding your my own experience of that is at one point, God told me to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and I didn't like it, but it's been rewarding ever since, you know? And at 4.15 this morning, I wanted to hit the snooze button or turn off the alarm, but he did not return the time with him, did not return void. You know, it's just, it's, he's faithful. And I think that would be my encouragement to everyone listening is God's word is, you know, it's rich. It will return and he's faithful, you know? And yeah. And, and don't let all the shallow stuff get, give you the impression that God's word isn't fruitful. Yeah. What I've noticed Notice this in mainline world. I mean, I kind of was a little hard on megachurch world. What I've noticed in mainline world is there's a lot of older people who've really given up on whether the Bible will really ever make sense to them. Mm. They've just heard so many social justice tirades or moralistic, you know, or, you know, sort of like stained glass, let us eat lettuce, you know, um, they, they, they don't, they kind of got to the point where they didn't expect anything from the Bible. Mm. Um, and then when I see them study, or sometimes I have a little bit of like research, like, oh, let me tell you something about that. And then it lights up for them. So people like people who are uh, just talking to Miriam, who's 93. It's like, you know, oh, oh, <laughs> I see. Yeah. You know, uh, something that's been read from the lectionary. Because in, in essence, to some degree, a lot of the mainline clergy gave up on the Bible having anything to say. And yep. because they gave up, since it's a message to the members that they should give up, that there ain't nothing there. Yeah. And there is. Oh, yeah. So good. So good. Jerry, we could keep going. Um, I know you, you've got to stop. I know I have a stop. Um, yeah, I feel and we may have to do I'm this sorry again. About that. I, no, I know. this has been yeah. beautiful. This has been beautiful. Is there anything we didn't get to talk about that you were hoping to share today? Well, but let me put it this way. When you first asked about this, success as the world, um, as the world defines it, and where God's kingdom pointed me in another direction, 
the great conflict of my adult life was very early on, I got into media mm. um, because of the gift of gab. Yeah. And so over and over again, there were fame spikes mm. and something turned toxic and God pushed me away from the fame spike. But then something else was, hey, Jerry, we haven't had you on the air in a long time. And so come mm. back on you know, the cable TV or whatever another fame spike. And then it was distorting my thinking. And then God would do something. And sometimes God would say, walk away. And I would walk away. And sometimes God would say, walk away. And I wouldn't. And then he would break me. Yeah. He'd give me a terrible disease, which made it impossible for me to go or allowed it to happen or whatever. Let's not get into Calvinism or Midianism. Just a bad thing would happen to me sure. where I couldn't be famous. Right. And so over and over again, I've walked away from media fame. Uh, either pushed away against my will or walked away. And I want to say two things about that. Number one, it has really blessed me. But number two, it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. And so not a day goes by where I don't see the cable TV channels or listen to a syndicated radio host and know that I was on that track or even there mm -hmm. and have a little bit of, oh, yeah, I, I could have had that. What, well, did I do the right thing? Mm. almost mm. like somebody who was like an alcoholic and 20 years later they walk past a bar and it's like you know a beer would taste good about now yeah but they still know they did the right thing right right or they know so, that god bottomed them out so that they, it was like get in recovery or die yeah right um and i think that was the case for me so th th there's two things about that one, one is that for me it was fame whatever it is for you but for a lot of people it is fame often it's power or money um you know it, it is, it's addictive. These things are addictive and going towards wisdom and love and service is better. It, mm. it is. And you may never get over the desire for the thing the world tells you you should desire, but you'll still be better off for following the kingdom, which is foot washing and, and simple, humble service. Not, I'm not saying I'm humble, uh, uh, but you know, I, at least my life is arranged that it's forced me to yeah. have to, as an entrepreneur, to have to serve to some degree, no matter what my big ego says. Mm. Um, and arranging your life so that you will get rewarded for doing acts of service rather than get rewarded for doing acts of manipulation or power or climbing that corporate. And I see that all the time in corporate America. Like the people who get to the top tend to be the people who are simply good at the process of manipulating the bureaucracy. Mm. Um, mm. And it's like, all right, but you're still doing the right thing. Yeah. And you, and you'll be happier and your family will be happier and you'll be healthier and you'll have more fruit. But I, there's no guarantee that until the resurrection, you'll be free of the desire mm. to measure yourself the way the world measures fame. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, at least. So I'll just speaking for myself that never went away. Um, and that's uh, still, I'm still glad I did it. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So last question that I love to ask every single guest, in three generations, what do you hope that your great-grandchildren remember about you? In three generations, I, 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 I actually, my intent is to know them. Mm. Um, so, so, I, so Arthur's about to turn four, so we've got to get him married off early <laughs> um, in order for me to meet the first great-grandchild. Um, I, 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 this might sound strange, but I, I try to pay attention to my health uh, yeah. uh, extra. Um, 
precisely because I want to be involved with my great grandchildren. Mm. Um, one thing that I've tried to do is I've, I've planted a lot of bushes and trees with my children. And so now they are talking to the grandchildren and saying, Pop Pop and I yeah. planted that tree. To, see that big tree? Pop Pop and I planted that tree together 25 years ago or 20 years ago. But Arthur, and pretty soon Ina, when she can pay attention enough, she's six months old, we're planting trees together mm. now. Mm. So I want them to be able to walk around here, even when Susan and I are gone, and say, these are trees that we planted together. Mm. And I want them to feel in their gut that those trees are just visual symbols of what we planted together, yeah. which is a family that in a world of atomism, where things are ripping apart, and I see it constantly between generations. You know, when my kids go out and meet kids, you know, in the culture, you know, outside our world, their friends are always shocked. Like, like my daughter Grace will say, well, here's my sister Hope. And then they'll talk about their brothers and their friends always say, wait a minute, you, you get along with your, with your sister and your brothers? Yes, all of them. They all get along with one another. They all love one another because this, 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 this society is atomizing. It's ripping apart. Mm. So I will hope that they remember that we, that we pursued a, a networking mm. binding together that still exists mm. when, when the great-grandchildren are grown up and making their own decisions, that they're going to keep that together, a, mute, a love for one another built around the wisdom of God. Mm. Um, following Christ, uh, so that in the, in the center of that network, the knot holding all that network together is Christ, the person mm. of Christ, the historic and cosmic at the same time, Christ. Uh, so I would want them to remember either the trees they planted or the stories that their dad or their granddad uh, taught about the trees that they planted with my wife and I, yeah. and know that it's like, oh, and our family's like that too. My yeah. family is like those trees. That's so good. Oh, I love that's, that. That's what I, that's what I, that's, oh, that's one of my favorites. One of my favorite answers so far. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. If any, if any of our listeners are listening and want to follow the work that you're doing, I know that everyone needs to get a copy of your book. Uh, you didn't say that. I'm saying that. Let's there's one left. Really... Amazon says there's only one copy left. So it's sold out or about to, but the paperback comes out in August or September. Sorry. Okay. I, I had to sell a little here. Yeah. Right. By, by, whether you sell or not, I'm going to sell on your behalf. That okay, everyone, you. everyone needs a copy of your book and you need to read it. Um, if you're not a reader, you need to put on the audio book. There's an audible version. You just need to consume uh, and get exposed and then be in God's word. But this will, I think this will awaken you to even more why you want to be studying God's word. But the, the question was, Jerry, if, if people want to get in, if people want to follow the work that you're doing, what's the easiest way to do that? You know, just follow me on social media. I don't really have like a branded website. So Boyer is B-O-W-Y-E-R, Twitter, which is kind of crazy. Probably you should stay off Twitter. But if you're on Twitter, you can follow me there. Things are a little more sane in LinkedIn. Hasn't gone quite crazy there. Uh, so LinkedIn uh, or Facebook, which is kind of in between. So, but look, TikTok, forget it. Like I said, I'm 60, right? Or even Instagram out of the, I'm not there. Uh, so you can follow me on social media. Probably LinkedIn would be the most, the conversation you're most used to here. All right. Jerry, thank you so much for being in the show. It's been fantastic. I really appreciate you. Eric, thank you for having me and thank you for doing this. Thank you for having a show like this mm. that's asking these kinds of questions. This is really needed. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. Everyone, I'll be with you again next week. Look forward to talking to you then. God bless. Have a fantastic day. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldunavant.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off. Until next time.